Raise your right hand and repeat after me. I say your name. Do you solemnly swear? To support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and to bear true faith and allegiance to the same. Then I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of those officers appointed over me according to regulations and the Uniform Code of Military Justice. So help me God. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of the American Vet Podcast. I'm Dave, and I'm sitting here with Chad. Chad is a Marine veteran. He's served active duty from 2008 to 2012, and then he's been a reserve since 2012 and is still a Marine Reserve. He served with the CLB-5, ISB, 4th Recon. He's been in the Intel Department in Afghan for the head, headquarters Marine Corps. And he's participated in some exercises, uh, Bold Alligator, Mountain EX, and African Lion. He has been awarded with a Purple Heart and a Navy Achievement Medal, also known as a NAM. Now he is an attorney for Veterans Law and a Mission 22 Ambassador. Chad, how are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me on, brother. Yeah, no worries. So... Like I, you know, like I said, pre-show or whatever, I'm going to really hit on that, uh, attorney for veterans law, because it sounds like you have a lot of good information for veterans out there seeking help. And, uh, you know, don't, you know, don't go alone out there is kind of what you're saying. Don't, don't fight that battle by yourself. Um, absolutely. Yeah. So before we get to that, I'd like to ask, you know, talk, walk me through your, your life in a sense, you know, who you were before in the Marine Corps and whatnot. Sure. So, uh, I grew up in New York on Long Island. Um, I went to college. Uh, then I worked afterwards. I was in uh, uh, the union trades doing the uh, operating engineer stuff throughout Manhattan and the five boroughs and anything that was like a machine that goes 360 was what we did. Elevators, moving equipment, uh, moving personnel. And then uh, I was also a mixed martial arts instructor for a few years and I uh, got a master's degree for teaching. And during that time, I was like, you know what? I- I've always wanted to go into service. Uh, so it's kind of now or never. Uh, I talked to a few different branches. I tried to talk to the Air Force, but no one was ever home. (laughs) Um, I went, talked to uh, the Army a little bit, talked to the Navy because my father was uh, a Navy. Uh, He was a sailor in uh, the 50s. And he's actually one of the only guys I know who was a sailor and never on ship. Wow. Um, So, yeah. (laughs) And then uh, I I talked to the Marine Corps and I just made the decision to go uh, that direction. I liked everything that was going on there, like the challenge. Yep. So I signed up, went to officer candidate school down in Quantico, Virginia. Okay. Uh, from there, I went to uh, the basic school, which is pretty much provisional infantry officers course for six months. Uh, I got the MOS of a logistics officer. Okay. I went to logistics school, which is just outside Camp Lejeune. At that point, I got uh, assigned to CLB-5 out in uh, Camp Pendleton, California. And I joined up as a platoon commander for a truck platoon. We were training up to go to Afghanistan, which we went to in 2010. And we were down in Hulman province. And uh, the day of the Riptoa that we took over command from the previous battalion is the day that my vehicle hit an IED. Mm. And uh, <laughs> so we started off with a bang to say for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so then uh, we were out there for seven months, came back home. I transitioned over to the assistant operations officer 
uh, billet for pretty much the rest of the time. Then I was getting ready to transition out and they were headed out for another deployment. So I was a rear element commander in the meantime. Okay. Uh, I got out of active service, uh, spent a few months at home and I was looking to lap move into Intel. And I did that as a reservist and joined up with ISB. And as a time, I've mostly been with that as a reservist because I was a production officer there, uh, a detachment commander. Then I was a company XO. Then I went over to headquarters Marine Corps with Intel department, worked in international engagements, went over to Fort Recon to be their Intel officer. And I'm back at ISB as a company commander now. Outstanding. That's, uh, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, so talk to me about um, office, officer candidate school. So like I, I was a Marine officer also, but I was a, uh, I went to Paris Island. So yeah. I wasn't enlisted. So what is, uh, is it, is it tougher you think in uh, OCS or? It's just different. So what uh, we're trying to do at OCS is who has the potential for leadership and you can get dropped in OCS. You can get dropped at TBS. If you're not passing what you need to be passing, if you're having issues with leadership, they yeah. can drop you. And even though you have that commission in the basic school, yeah. you can lose out and they just, you're done right there. So yeah. officer candidate school is tough physically. Uh, I think that's because they want to see what do you have physically? And really it, it transitions to what do you have mentally? Right. You can prepare yourself physically for what you're going to go through, but it's also a mental part. You're right. out there and you're leading your peers, which is the right. toughest thing to do. Right. Uh, and especially as candidates at that time, you have a lot of guys that are prior enlisted. So when you guys got guys like me coming off the street and you guys, guys who are staff NCOs and sergeants and corporals, and they're used to telling someone what to do and they do it. We're coming like, yeah, uh, I'll just kind of do my own thing right now. It can be yeah. frustrating for them, but we kind of all get in into line together with understanding that to be a real leader, you know, when to lead and you know, when to follow. So right. uh, right. to not be that blue Falcon. Uh, you don't want to, <laughs> you got to try to help out your buddies too, because we're all there to support each other, but we're all there to show that we have the potential okay. to be leaders. Okay. So it's more of a, a structure killing session as opposed to Paris Island where they just kill you all the time. Oh, there's definitely some of that going on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So now, so after you go to OCS or whatnot, you know, so for the enlisted side, you know, we go to boot camp, then we go to MCT. Do you guys also go to like an MCT type of thing? Or is it like, how long is OCS for you guys really? OCS is 10 weeks. Um, okay. And so what I did is OCC, Officer Candidate Course, and then okay. there's PLC, Platoon Leaders Course. So OCC is 10 weeks straight. PLC is six weeks. You go home and you come back. That's next summer or two summers later to finish. So when you're going through it for 10 weeks and you see all these six-weekers leaving, going home, you're sitting there going, these son of bitches going home already. <laughs> <laughs> but we get our revenge because when we're done we're done. We don't have to right. sit there for a year or two thinking, Oh my God, I got to go back to this madness for six more weeks. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And then you just get put with a unit at that point. Do you get to like pick where you're going or is that kind of like, Hey, you know, on Alyssa's side, like me, it was just like, boom, here's your orders. You're going to Okinawa. So do you have like an option? Sort of. So when you go to the basic school, that's six months long. It's where you're already commissioned. You're all second lieutenants. Some are there as first lieutenants or captains because any officer for the Marine Corps has to go through TBS. So we had a, a captain from the army and uh, she had to go through TBS with all the second lieutenants. Okay. We had some law contracts that were already first lieutenants, because if you're a law contract, they really want you to be a captain right away. Just so you have, you don't get a, 
an attorney who's a butter bars and you're like, Oh my God, I'm screwed. This person has no idea what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, we go, we go through the basic school. It's about six months long and about four months into it. That's when you start putting down what MOS is that you want and where you want to be stationed which is East coast, West coast overseas. They break everything down into thirds. Okay. So let's say you have 30 spots for logistics, 30 spots for artillery. They split it. 10, 10, and 10. So you can be at the top of the second, third, top of the third, third, and get pretty much your top choice. Yep. Or you could be like me, it was at the bottom of uh, one of those thirds and gets <laughs> like their seventh or eighth choice because you ran out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I know we, um, we had a butter ball that came out to us in Okinawa, my first unit. And uh, he was, he was kind of like, I'll just follow, you know, and it's like he, his, his mindset was kind of like, I'm not going to really, you know, like me at the time I was a corporal. And he would come up to me all the time. He's like, Hey, I don't really, you just tell me what to do. Kind of thing. Yeah. And I'm like, well, <laughs> well, <laughs> and, uh, you know, but he had a hard time with it. I mean, he was, he was a very young guy and, uh, you know, so he'd used to come to the barracks or whatever and start knocking on enlisted members doors and whatever. And be like, Hey, anybody want to go out to town, have a couple of drinks? We're like, sir, that's kind of, you don't fraternize eyes like that. You know, it's kind of, yeah. you don't understand. We're probably going to get in a fight with somebody tonight. I don't want to be with you. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I don't get to fight with you or with you. you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So where was your first, where did you end up with your, for your first uh, duty station? So I want a West coast. I want to be out in Pendleton or Miramar cause uh, I never lived out in California before. Yep. So I gave it a shot. Uh, I know I could have gotten uh, 29 palms, which have been pretty terrible, but took a shot and I got uh, camp Pendleton in Cal San Diego, California. Okay. It was great. We were right on the water. I got a uh, apartment with one of my buddies from, from OCS and TBS and probably within seven months. I mean, as soon as I got there, we were already right in the middle of working up to go out to Afghanistan. Right. Uh, we did a CAX in 29 Palms. We did a uh, battalion and, and company exercises out in Pendleton. Then we did a uh, enhanced Mojave Viper and went out the door to, uh, to Afghanistan. Part of that uh, surge back, back in 2010. Oh, okay. Now, how did, uh, you know, what, what was your experience out in Afghanistan as being a, an officer out there? So uh, as a second Lieutenant, I know going in that I don't know anything. Uh, I have, a little bit more uh, life experience than those coming straight out of college. So I had that going, but I also wanted to learn. I was in a new environment. And really when you're a Lieutenant, you're really supposed to learn from your company commander, the captain. Yep. And if you got a poor company commander, you're in trouble. That's what I ran into. My company commander at the time really didn't like women. Uh, everybody felt it because in logistics, you can have males and females. And we had a couple of female officers. Yeah. Everybody, even like the senior enlisted, saw what was going on. So that was tough for me because you had someone who was already had a deployment to Iraq, first lieutenant, and I'm a second lieutenant. Yeah. And, you know, it just was a, a toxic situation. And that proceeded to work into uh, Afghanistan, too, unfortunately. I was told sometimes you just need to yell at your Marines just so they know that you're in charge. Sometimes you just need to say no to them so they know you're in charge. And, you know, I, I went in there with an open mind. Yeah. Some of the stuff I didn't do, like just saying no for the sake of saying no, just seemed stupid to me. Right. But he in Afghanistan, he drove a wedge between the company and the rest of the battalion. And he told me like, nobody in this battalion likes you. So just do what you need. Do what I tell you to do type of deal. And I'm like, this isn't right. Yeah. You know, everybody felt the issues going on throughout the battalion. I went to the ops chief at one point. I'm like, hey, man, what the hell's going on here? And he's like, no one likes your company commander. I'm like, really? Because he tells me no one likes me. He goes, no, it's your company commander. He's 
making things difficult. Yeah. Just his approach to stuff really wasn't healthy. Uh, the first sergeant we had kind of his personality changed a little bit, but luckily I had some really great Marines with me. My uh, staff sergeant, I went through about three platoon sergeants in Afghanistan just because of things going on. Our ops chief for the company got sent back home. So we had to do some movement there. I had a couple of great, like I said, platoon sergeants. I had a, a young sergeant as my platoon sergeant at the end and he was awesome. But the Marines I had were fantastic. I try to do everything I can to protect them from the bullshit going on with the battalion. I tried writing up awards and I pretty much got dumped on with getting awards for my Marines. Shitty leadership, but it was a great time being with my Marines. I still talk to uh, one of the couple of my platoon sergeants, a couple of the Marines that are out now. That was kind of how that deployment went. And that's kind of pretty much what pushed me out of active service, okay. uh, which is a shame. And I think a lot of Marines go through this where it's like, I had such a shitty time in my first unit. It's like, man, every unit's got to be like this. Yeah. And it's not, but you don't really want to take that chance when you have a poor experience, especially with your leadership. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, you can see it on the flip side of that too. You know, you get your first duty station is amazing. You know, you're having a great time. You're having camaraderie is getting built up. You know, everybody's getting along. You don't have any shit bags or anything like that. And then, uh, you know, your second unit now you're going to like truck company or something like that. And then all of a sudden you got this young guy that picked up rank quick and then, you know, it goes to hell and a lot of people get out at that point too. Yeah. But, you know, that's when people start, you know, getting in trouble and doing the whole chesty polar thing, you know, just getting busted down and ranking up again and busting down, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what, what really uh, was troublesome for me is so when we hit that IED in the truck was my driver, myself, a gunner, a no ship medical doc from the Navy and a radio operator where the ID went off. I mean, everybody except for the gunner got hurt, which is amazing because they're the most susceptible to being injured. Yeah. Uh, the driver broke his foot and what sucked is he extended just for the deployment. So he had to go home within the first month. Mm-hmm. And a few months later, I found out that the guys back um, in the rear weren't really taking care of him. And then he got a DWI and got busted down. I was like, what the hell, man? Like this guy gets sent home because he's in an explosion, breaks his foot. Maybe you should keep an extra eye on him to make sure he's okay. Given yeah. the whole backstory of extends just for deployment. The first day of the transfer of authority, he gets hit and his foot's broken. He's sitting around, he gets sent home. I mean, yeah. those are the guys you got to watch out for. Make sure everything's going fine for him or doing the best you can to support them. Absolutely. And yeah, exactly. Those are the, uh, you know, the people that reenlist just to go out there and stuff like that, that right there in and of itself is just, you know, that's, you got to watch out for them. I mean, there's a reason why they're just, that's all they want to do is just go and go and go, you know? Yeah. Um, okay. So now you, now you get back and so you're, what is bold alligator? What exercise was that? If you can talk. So that was when, uh, I was with Intel. So what's really cool about being a reservist is you can kind of pick and choose what you can, what you want to do. Okay. When you're active duty, it's like, you're going here and you're doing this Yeah. as a reservist, just a little bit more freedom to say, I want to go on this exercise. I want to go on this mobilization. Again, sometimes you're told you're going somewhere, but you know, that's kind of what's great. So bold alligator was an operational level exercise with uh, multinational exercise too. So we had Canadians were with us, Brits, the usual uh, friendly forces. I forget the other nations were there, but there was about 10 of them. And we were down in uh, Norfolk in this facility that looked like it was straight at NCIS or something like <laughs> high level. It's just, amazing tons of stars on all sides a lot of colonels were out there so what i did was collections and i'd never done collections before so i just got baptism by fire but it was really an awesome experience there we had three marines from isb we had some other folks join us from anglico some navy sailors were part of the uh, the intel unit 
And it was great to be exposed to higher level exercises to have a better understanding of how military operations work. It's great to read about everything, but when you're doing it, you get a different appreciation for it because you have civilians there. uh, You have all the branches there. You have other nations there. And just working through those processes of those relationships is a real eye opener. So I absolutely loved it. The colonels I worked with were great. The camaraderie with uh, the Navy side and Marine side was great. I mean, I gave him crap. I said, how many uniforms you guys have in here today? It's like eight of them. So, (laughs) you know, the usual ripping going back and forth. So that was a lot of fun. Outstanding. So I wanted to ask you, like, how is it being a reserve? I mean, I've always said to, you know, it's one thing to be active duty, but being a reserve takes a whole nother toll on, on you, you know, cause you're only there for a weekend. So you get to play hero for a weekend, then you go home back to your normal job. So like that mental aspect of things is, is in my eyes, I mean, I've never done it, but in my eyes, it's gotta be one of the hardest things to do as opposed to going to boot camp or something mentally. But how is it as, as an officer to like say, okay, now I have to, be in charge of you guys for two days. And then now I'm going to go back to my real job and then come back. You know, how's that for an officer? It's two jobs. You know, you have your civilian job, which is your primary job. And then you have your reserve job, which is your primary secondary job. So like, you know, one week in a month, two weeks a year with all that, but it never stops as a leader. You know, myself as a company commander there, I'm working during the week, during the month, all the time. I'm still doing my PMA. I'm still doing other stuff. So I'm doing command and staff college online right now. I do some scholarly electives through uh, Marine Corps University and other things like that. I'm coordinating a battle staff, uh, virtual battle staff visit. I'm coordinating for our drill plan for next month, creating the annual training plan for next year. And I do this with my first sergeant, my XO, my OPSO. We try to put as much as we can into the weekend, especially for our subordinates, so they don't have to deal with this much to take more off their plate. But we have a relationship with our INI, which is the key to success, I think. The INI that we work with, which is the active duty uh, component, who supports us and helps us out with everything. We're hand in hand yeah. and it's like, Hey, I want to get this done. Can you guys help us out? Yeah, absolutely. So it's great having them. If you have a good relationship with your active duty counterparts, it makes life so much easier. You know, things pop up all the time from issues to deployments to exercises. Like we just got a opportunity for Marines to deploy. We push it out first come first serve type of deal. So it's, you're never really off. You're always working. And I don't mind it. I love it. I love being a reservist. I love being around the Marines. I love being a Marine. It's something I love doing. I, I can see myself doing this as a career too, which is my plans. Okay. And I'd say most of the officers and senior enlisted are looking at careers with it. There's some who are just kind of in it right now to experiment, which is kind of what I did Okay. was, Hey, what's this reserve thing? Let me try it out and see how I feel about it. But it's been great. You know, you can do a lot of those cool exercises, go overseas. You can do some you can jump on uh, deployments and mobilizations. So it's definitely enjoyable because everybody wants to be there. And everyone is so unique with what their civilian skill sets are. I mean, you have a sergeant who's a mayor of a town. When I did an exercise, Mountain X, Anglico CEO was the, the senator, one of the senators from uh, Alaska. Like there's, oh. you know, corporals with million dollar businesses and agents and attorneys and everything in between, man. So it's definitely a lot of cool skill sets that the reserves bring in. Oh, wow. Yeah. I never really thought about like, you know, like I said, as a reserve, I never really thought about like the guys you actually work with and like what they do day to day and stuff. Um, so no going back full time for you then you're pretty much staying right there reserve until they say you can't reenlist anymore. Yeah. So when you go to the reserves and you want to go back to active duty and I saw this with, uh, 
when I was a captain, one of the majors at Intel department, he went back to active duty after maybe seven years in the reserves. Yep. And then you're looking at a, a promotion. You're not as competitive as your active duty counterparts because you just don't have that experience. Right. So if you're going to go back to active duty, you really need to do it within the first few years. Otherwise you're kind of in a tough situation where it's like, yeah, you're a major and you've done all this stuff as a reservist, but you're going against active duty. You're doing it every single day. So you're not seen as competitive. Plus, if you think about uh, PME, if you're in active, as an officer, you really need to go to residential courses. Yep. Meanwhile, for the reserves is just get it done, do it online because we know that you can't really go, Hey work, I'm out of here for nine, nine months to do my uh, PME for the military. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the biggest thing that you're doing now, and like I said, I think I really wanted to hit on was you're an attorney for uh, veterans law. So for the listeners out there and in, you know, so you're an attorney that fights for the veteran against the VA. So I guess when the VA says, no, you can't have it. That's where you step in and say, he deserves it. And this is why. Is that right? Pretty, that's pretty much. So just to go back, I used my post 9-11 GI bill to go to law school. Okay. I got out in 2012. I didn't go to law school to 2013. I had this whole plan of what I was going to do. I was going to go be a cop. I was going to go to law school at night, be in the reserves, had this whole plan. And no plan survives first contact. So none of that shit happened, really. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I applied for a ton of jobs. You know, and it was a weird story. So 2012, economy wasn't great either, which wasn't a great time to get out. Yep. But I applied for like the marshals and ATF. And that point, they were pretty much just taking veterans. So I sent them my DD-214. And they're like, hey, we're not going to take you. We can't read your DD-214. I'm like, what are you talking about? So I'm like, all right, I'll send it again. They're like, yeah, we still can't read it. So we're not going to take you. I'm like all right, that's kind of weird. Went to go for Jersey state troopers, killed it on the physical, passed the, the exam, the written exam. You know, at that point I was a first Lieutenant. I already had a master's degree and I have all this. I'm like, yo, I'm going to be in, I'm going to be perfect for this. I can't wait. Yep. I'm going to be a state trooper. And then I'm going to go to school at night and everything's going to go the way I want it to. Yeah. And then that didn't happen. I didn't get selected for the troopers and I was absolutely shocked by that. So I called them up and I talked to a trooper. I'm like, Hey man, what happened? I, you know, I passed everything. I got all this other stuff I've already done. He's like, you sound like the perfect candidate, but they take the packages and send it to a third party who has this algorithm and I didn't fit into the algorithm. So I was like, okay, all right, whatever. Yeah. So then back to the drawing board, uh, I was on unemployment because when you get out of active duty, uh, when you separate, you can receive unemployment uh, because you didn't quit. You just finished your, your required time. So collecting unemployment, trying to figure out what the hell to do. I'm living in my parents' house. We're living down in South Carolina and I'm living in New York. And looking back at it now, wasn't doing well. I'm someone who was always very neat and organized. And my father came up one time and he's like, are you doing all right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. Meanwhile, the, the floor is full of dust and everything. It's just, it was a mess. So understanding that you're going through a hard time is probably the first step. And I didn't get there because I'm like, yeah, I'm an officer. I've got a master's degree and I got this whole plan and everything's going to be fine for me and nothing was going well. So saying that you're having issues can be very difficult, especially for us in the service and us as Marines are always like, nope, suck it up, put some sand on it and yep. I'm going to keep moving forward and we just fine. Yep. So finally I ran out of unemployment. I'm like, man, I got to do something. I'm just going to go to school. So I took uh 
LSATs, which is the, the pretest for law school back when I was in California. I took the GREs and I'm looking at all these programs to go into. And I was like, screw it, man. I'm just going to apply to law school and see what happens. My test to get in wasn't good. <laughs> so I was lucky to even get into law school. And I say that those tests are bullshit because I graduated cum laude. So I got the LSAT, which is barely good enough to get into a fourth tier school to graduating near the top of my class. So even though your scores say one thing, screw it, man, that doesn't mean how you're going to do. Okay. So I go to law school, use the uh, post on 11 GI bill, which is freaking awesome. Everybody needs should use it, man, because you're getting paid tax-free at the E5 BAH for the zip code of your school yep. to go to school. You get a thousand dollars every year towards book. And you don't have to pay for your school pretty much. And if your school is not a state school, it's a private school. You have the yellow ribbon program that some schools are part of. So you don't have to pay for anything for school. It's 36 months. So it's designed to get a bachelor's degree. But if you're doing STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, they've just increased it to 48 months. Wow. So yes, you got more school you can do. Not to mention your state benefits, which can help you pay for school. So if you are enlisted, you haven't done your bachelor's degree and you want to move to like a master's or a doctorate or a professional degree, you can figure out how much the schools are going to be. How do you use your state benefits and your federal benefits? And you have no student loans, plus all the scholarships that are out there for veterans. Right. There's tons of them out there. Just research veteran scholarships and you'll see like Tillman Foundation, Active Valor Reward Foundation. There's just tons of them out there. Yeah. I use my post 9-11 when I got out too. And, uh, you know, a few years after I got out for um, machine work and stuff like that. And what I loved about the the post 9-11, now I got the kicker when I went into boot camp that, you know, you know, the kill hats and everything else. Like, hey, you guys, you know, if you want to sign up for the kicker, fill out this paperwork. I was like, well, what's the kicker? And they're like, well, the post 9-11 is good, but with the kicker, it's better. So I ended up got I got the kicker and um, the biggest thing about the whole post 9-11, it's all tax free too. So at the end of the year, you don't even have to claim it. Nothing. It's getting paid under the table. And, uh, you know, that's a big, big win out there for everybody as well. So it's tax free money. And uh, so, yeah, just touching on the post 9-11, it's a phenomenal program. And if anybody's going into the service soon or something like that, or, you know, you haven't looked into it, definitely look into the post 9-11 Obviously, the post 9-11 is the GI Bill for anybody that's joined after 9-11. Um, you get the post 9-11, you don't have the GI Bill anymore. And it is, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal program. Yeah, and the other education benefit you have is Voc Rehab. Yep. And uh, it's something that's not very well understood, but you can start looking at Voc Rehab just when you're getting ready to transition out. And you can use that, let's say uh, you're already out, and you, as long as you have a disability rating, and some of your post 9-11 benefits available, you can transfer to Volk Rehab. And, and I had a student come through who worked at like the trains MTA here in New York, and he uses Volk Rehab to go to law school because he couldn't work manual labor because of his service connection. And he was able to transition over to law school and have it paid for. So it's not just the post 9-11 GI Bill that's out there, vocational rehab if you want to open up your own business, vocational rehab can help you out with that. So definitely, you know, there's, there's lots of options there, not just I'm going to go to school, but you can go to trade school, whether it's uh, like an iron, working as an iron worker, you know, getting a, a pilot's license, opening yep. up your own business. There's tons of stuff that's out there. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, you know, getting out in steps programs, they don't, you know, at least for me, for, you know, getting out in North Carolina in 09, there was no talk of any of that. 
it was horrendous program. Yeah. And it's, I don't know what it is today. Cause uh, like I said, you know, I got out in 09, so 11 years ago and hopefully it's better, but that's the biggest thing is, you know, talking to my wife and everything else. And I was telling her, I was like, you know, when you get out, you don't know your options. And then, you know, you can go to your local VA rep in your, in your town or your municipality, but he's only going to give you the information that he cares about. You know what I mean? He's only going to give you, you know, it's like having a, uh, a crappy top, you know, if the crappy top don't care, you know, if then you're not going to get anywhere. So, you know, trying to find someone that is good at their job and willing to give out information was amazing. But, you know, you don't find out about any of this stuff. I had to learn the hard way how to use my post 9-11 bill, you know, and stuff like that. So like the Volk rehab thing, I didn't even know that was available, you know? Yeah. Even like, so when I went to law school, I wanted to go, I wanted to finish as soon as I can. Just, I, I got shit to do with my life. Let's go, let's get this yeah. done. So I did one summer I did out over abroad. I went to Vietnam. So, so talking to the financial reps at my school, I was like, Hey, can I use it, the, this bill for the summer classes? Yep. They're like, yeah. Turns out you can't because when I came back, all my shit was frozen and I couldn't register for classes. And they're like, Hey, by the way, I was like $5,000 for the summer course. And I'm like, you guys told me I could use it, man. So that was a whole ordeal that didn't go well, but you can only use for like the traditional two semesters a year. So it's like nine months a year, which is why the 36 months is like four years because it's, it works out to a four year degree. The intent behind that, I believe was uh, for those who don't have a bachelor's degree to have the ability now to go get their bachelor's degree, the four years, traditional four years to, to get that. So just be careful with that. You can't use it for winter sessions. You can't use it for summer classes. Right. Uh, and you have to check the amount of credits you need to get like BAH and that thousand dollars towards post, which I think is 12 credits, but I don't remember offhand right now. So don't quote me on it, but it's about 12 credits to be considered full time to get all that. Yeah. They told me, um, they had to be three classes. You had to be a full-time student to get everything. And yes. you had to without your, within your three classes, one of them had to be a sit-in class. So you can have, you know, you'd have to go to school for one class, but the other two classes could be on the computer. I haven't really run into too much of issues with online courses. Yep. Lately, the stuff I've been reading was kind of weird because of this whole pandemic that we're in with everything's going virtual right now. But they're trying to transition now to make sure that everyone's taken care of because that's what we need to do. You can't tell someone the rules of the game have changed in the middle of it. Right. You need to do some research on your own as a veteran to make sure it's good. You got to find someone who knows what they're talking about, or at least has some clue what they're talking about. There's the Student Veterans of America, which is uh, where the national organization. So most schools have a veterans club and they're, most of those are connected to the national. And that's how you can get a lot more information in the education realm as a student uh, for, for what's out there and how to use your benefits correctly and, and make sure you're taken care of. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a great yeah, I wish I would have known that. I mean, we had, you know, in the school I went to when I was doing uh, CNC machine, um, you know, we had a little kind of book club type of thing, but I didn't know there was like at a national level, that would have been, it would have been nice to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and what it is, is just going out there, researching stuff. Uh, when I was a student, there used to be a veterans law student organization. And then I just started it up again. And I was like, there's got to be some kind of national thing going on because there's so many national organizations for so many different genders, ethnicities, rate, all that stuff. Yeah. And veterans are a protected class. So I was like, there's got to be something out there national. And that's how I found SVA. And I connected this, the schools, or, schools club with that national organization. So that's definitely a way to go about it. 
All right. Well, thanks for that information, at least. <laughs> Would have been nice in 09, but hey. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wish I knew more about it when I was a student, too. But this is just, you know, the growing pains of it and now being involved a little bit more and going through appeals for some veterans for education benefits. Definitely get to learn a lot about it now. Yeah. So as as an attorney for uh, veteran law, you know, being 2020 and everything going on with COVID-19 and everything else, what is like one of the major cases that you see, like, you know, that comes across your desk and you're like, oh, it's another one of these, you know, like, is there a major thing out there that a lot of veterans are having an issue with that are needing help? No consistency from the VA for disability claims. My first thing is, so we're talking about those, those tap and tamp classes, which are actually horrendous when we went through them. I remember I was sitting there. Well, first off, I'm the first lieutenant sitting there with a, a private who's getting kicked out because he, he's in his utilities because he was in the brig. Yep. So your audience is just jacked up to begin with. But that's another story. <laughs> um, there was a retired gunny who came out talking about VA benefits. And he's like, you know, they gave me 60% for disability. And I thought it was bullshit. And I fought it. And I got 80%. I thought it was bullshit. And I fought it. And I got 100%. And so now I got 100% disability. And it's all tax-free. And I get money every month. And I'm like, man, that's messed up. You should have yeah. just been happy with 60%. Now, being involved with it, I'm like, hell yeah. Because you know what? You fought for your country. Go fight for your doggone benefits. Because yep. if you don't fight for your benefits, if you don't go out and try to get your benefits, they're not going to be here for your brothers and sisters. And they're going to be here in the future. Because who's always the first ones hit with the budget issues is senior citizens and veterans. Yep. And if we're not using these benefits, they're going to take them away. Use those benefits, man. And you know what? If you have any health issues whatsoever, go put a claim in. Because you can also look up what these symptoms are. So not every illness, not every injury you can get VA disability for. But there's a ton of them. So taking, for instance... Um, Headaches, you can have 0%, 10%, 30%, 50%. Okay. And it maxes out at 50%. Tinnitus, I think, maxes out at 30%. So not every injury or illness will have a 100% uh, disability rating. And remember, 0% is still a rating. You may not get any money, but you'll be taking care of the rest of your life for medical care from the VA. At the very least, you have somewhere to go for those. When you're looking at the, um, uh, the symptoms that you have, you can look up. It's out there in the, the Code of Federal Regulations, the CFR, what your injury is, and then the, the, the symptoms for each of them. Okay. So let's say uh, sleep apnea maxes at 50%. You need to be prescribed a CPAP machine to get 50%. Doesn't say you have to use it. It would have been in there. Right. You just need to prescribe the CPAP machine and you'll be getting 50%, or you should. When you put in your disability claims, so the first thing you want to do is put in an intent to file. And that's telling the VA, hey, here's who I am. I'm going to file a disability claim within the next 365 days. And what's great about that, whatever your retro pay is, your back pay that you're going to get, it starts on the day you put your intent to file in. So let's say January 1st, 2020, you put your intent to file in. You have till December 31st, 2020 to file. Every month going through, you're going to get your back pay if you get something tax-free. So you put your, your actual claim in, I recommend putting in like four, no more than five in at a time. Cause if you have a ton of issues and you put 10 in, I imagine they're going, who the hell is this person to put 10 claims in whatever. And they're going to half-ass it. So I put four or five claims in at, at one time, the first time. Yep. If you have the 30% or more rating, you'll get paid for your dependents. So you're going to have to fill out the information for your dependents, which is spouse, children, and can be parents. Okay. Um, so if you're taking care of a parent, that's a dependent and you can get paid more for that. If you hit the 30% mark, 
So you put your claim in and what you will have to do is make that connection between your injury or illness and your service uh, time. So you'll need your medical records. And if you're in the service right now, I don't give a shit how your mentality is. Just you got a little headache. Go tell, go tell the, um, go to medical and get it documented. At least it makes it so much easier. Your elbow is bothering you. Go to medical. Your foot's bothered. Go to medical. Get it documented because what you're doing is protecting yourself for down the line. So if you got a, a anywhere near an explosion and you have a headache, maybe you have TBI, maybe yep. you're going to have headaches in the future. You might not have it now, but you might have it in the future. And at least you have the ability to connect it to your service. Right. That's the important thing. When you get out of active service, you have up to one year at the VA. So when I got out, I went to the VA and they had the OAF, OEF caseworkers. I tell them everything going on. I'm around burn pits. I was in an explosion. Uh, I had knee surgery, all this other shit. And so they send you out to all the doctors for that. So I got like a chest x-ray for burn pits. I saw the doctor for headaches, the neurology. I saw someone for TBI and all this other stuff. And if you have it marked in your records within the first year of the VA, that makes it so much easier to make that connection to service. If it's outside a year, you need a doctor to sign off saying this is connected to your service, which becomes much more difficult. You really want to take care of yourself and your future and really your dependents' future too, because there's possible benefits for them. For instance, and I just learned about this a few months ago. If you have a hundred percent VA disability rating and you're married for 10 years in one day and you die on day two, your spouse can receive those benefits for the rest of her life. Oh, wow. So there's tons of stuff out there, man. And, and there's no seen really one place where it lists every single benefit that you can receive as a veteran. So there's stuff we're le- learning all the time. So going back to the ratings, right? You can look up what your symptoms are and you can say, this is bullshit. If they're like, for me, I have headaches and yep. I get migraines and they're freaking horrible. I've been prescribed like pills from the V and I was like, I don't want to take pills. They've told me I have chronic headache syndrome and all this other crap. So they gave me a rating at 0%. I'm like, what? That's bullshit. You guys already said I got chronic headaches, so I shouldn't be zero. So what I did is I put an appeal in for that. And you can do two ways for an appeal is uh, have another like caseworker review this who at the same level review it. Or you can do a higher level, which is like their supervisor look at it. And you can also put in a, a supplemental claim, which is more evidence for them to, to look at. So I wrote a letter specific to headaches and I had my wife write a letter. Yep. And uh, they still give me 0%. So now I'm going to the next level. And I'm actually using a, a law firm with one of my buddies to help me out because I think that's one of the issues too, is it's a heavy lift. And yeah. sometimes you don't want to take care of yourself. When you get all the documents and you give it to someone else to, to worry about, it, it's a complete weight off your shoulders. And when you go through a law firm, lawyers can only take 20% at max of what you receive back. And if you think about it, 20% really ain't that bad because you're getting paid the rest of your life, really. It's 20% of that back pay. So I'm going through the appeals process for that. But I can look up and see headaches for 50% is it has an, a potential to impact your income. Not that it does, but just the potential. It's If you have migraines, you have to lay down twice a month. Yeah, that's me, man. I'm Sometimes I'm, I've got to be like, hey, man, I, I need to shut down for a while. My migraine is so bad. I'm nauseous. I'm dizzy. I can't see straight, but then you can look at 30%. You can look at 10%. So whatever symptoms you have, just look it up. It's right there. You know what you deserve. So if you're like, I deserve 50% and I got 50% for something. Perfect. You're right where you should be. And there's times somebody gets a hundred percent when they should be 50%. And you're like, 
Okay. Oh. <laughs> just keep your hands off it. Don't even mention it to anybody because the VA makes a mistake that way too sometimes. Yep. But of course, there's times when they just keep fighting you and there's a thought generally that the VA looks to push you away to make you give up, but don't give up, man. There's VSOs, there's attorneys, there's lots of folks out there helping you fight for your, your disability benefits. There's so a VSO is a veteran service officer, and that can just be anybody who's looking to help veterans fill out the initial claims because they're complicated. Yeah. Um, You go to your County veteran service agency, they're full of VSOs there. And their jobs are to help you with the initial claims, not just for disability benefits, but for all the allowances, which I'll get into in a little bit, and all the other benefits that you have that you can receive as a veteran. When you go to VSOs, it's hit or miss. Some are freaking awesome and know exactly how to work it. And okay. some are just there yeah, and can try to push you away. So it's whoever you feel comfortable with. They can only really do like the initial aspects of it. And an attorney... Uh, I might be biased here because I'm one, but an attorney goes through years of schooling because now we know how to formulate the arguments. What I do is I try to look up as much information I can on on previous cases. That's only available at the higher levels of appeal, not initial claims. So I can make a petition and say, hey, according to this case, you've already ruled on the case similar to mine. So here it is. It should be a no brainer. Right. And attorneys can keep fighting all, all the way up. And a lot of attorneys have experience with CAVIC, which is Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims, which is a federal court just for VA benefits. Wow. Yeah, that's based out of DC. It's folks who've been around veterans law for a while. And, you know, there's organizations out there, National Organization of Veteran Advocates, National Law School of Veterans Clinic Consortium. There's some, uh, some firms who just have it on the side and kind of like, yeah, we'll do this too. But you really need to find out someone you're comfortable with. So I, for me personally, I'd rather go with someone who gives a shit than someone who knows everything there is because I want someone to actually care about my case. So if your knowledge base is 80%, but you give a shit 100%, let's do it, man. I'm with you 100% of the way. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So the biggest thing is from all that is just, you know, you have to go to the VA or you have to go see doc or, you know, BAS or whatever when you're in. And that's where it it actually starts to flow through. And, you know, if you submit it, if you deserve it and you submit it and they kick it back because you're one of the ones that they just you know, you hit a desk that kicks everybody back the first time, you know, yeah. fight for it, fight for it. Like you're saying, and don't go and try to submit on your own, go see a VSO. And if he doesn't, if you if the vibe is not there, just walk out of that office and go see another one until you get yeah. the correct vibe, you know, keep fighting. You deserve it. If you deserve it and you need it, fight for it is what you're pretty much saying. And don't ever give up. And, and if a VSO couldn't help you, then go to an attorney like yourself and just keep fighting because eventually the VA is either going to give in or they're going to, you know, somebody's going to find out that you're just trying to get extra money every month and you don't actually deserve any of this. Yeah. And it could take years. There's a case I heard of someone who kept fighting for 10 years, went all the way to the court appeals for veterans claim. And the ruling was he deserved his benefits. And you know what he got? $400,000 tax-free in back pay. Wow. <laughs> that is freaking life-changing. Oh, absolutely. Now that's just, yeah, that's a, 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 you know, a single case. It's not the usual. Yeah. But you can see how long this person fought for, for 10 years for their benefits. And that ruling that he got, imagine how much more, more money that's giving other veterans to say they're citing this case of, hey, he got it at the at federal level. We were owed it. It's similar in this way. So you owe the money to this veteran. So it's this money can be life changing. You're talking about if you're a hundred percent VA disabled. Now 
let me say this when you're VA disabled is yeah. different than like social security disability. Okay. Social security disability is a zero sum game. You either can work or you can't. There's no in between. Right. VA disability at a hundred percent, you can still work. So a single veteran with no dependents can make $3,000 a month tax free for VA disability levels of that. And I know reservists who are hundred percent VA disabled. I know folks out there hundred percent VA disabled who are attorneys and uh, social workers and, and teachers and everything else in between. That's on top of what you're making on your salary. So it's hugely helpful for you know yourself to be more financially secure. You're setting yourself up for a lifetime of income. It's, it's just fantastic. And even if you're only 30%, you're still making a few hundred bucks extra a month and every little bit helps, right? Right. And even if you're only 30%, so let's say if you have, from what I'm understanding from this, let's say if you got a headache or something like that, because something happened to you while you're in service, get out and still fight for that headache. Because even if it's 10% disability owed to you, so even if it's a couple hundred dollars a month, your case may help somebody else that actually has needs more needs help too as well. Cause if they deny you, they deny everybody else and then they don't get the funding they need. But if they approve it for you, you know, it's going to be, it's going to help out the next guy that needs it too as well. Correct. And on top of that, if it gets worse, you put in a supplemental claim, you can get more money. So yeah. if your injury or illness is getting worse over time, it can always be increased. Okay. The VA math is really jacked up. <laughs> so all your disabilities and it can add up to 170%, but you're only getting 80%. It's because the VA has a weird way of doing math to go from 90% to hundred percent is tough. And you're talking about almost a thousand dollars difference in pay a month. So just because your disabilities add up to hundred percent doesn't mean you get hundred percent. I could go into the VA calculator, but it's just too complex. There's, if you look up on the internet, VA disability calculator, you can plug in different percentages and uh, dependents and you can see what you should be getting and what the percentage will turn into. Oh, wow. Okay. So now there's, uh, I mean, nobody knows how to do math in the mili military, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> math for Marines, right? <laughs> That's it. So now there's a, there's an, an, a question out there that uh, has always come up and everything else. So like, let's say that, you know, you did, you know, eight years, 10 years, 12 years, whatever, however long you did in, in the military, any branch. And let's say, you know, cause you are you're aware of the stigma too. Like, Oh, you're going to BAS cause you got a headache. You're a little bitch. You know, you're yeah. a little, little pussy. Why don't you fucking man up? You know, I'm not going to Iraq with you cause you're just going to get everybody shot. Cause you're going to throw your weapon down, you know? Yeah. So what happens to the, the, the people out there that, uh, you know, they, just, they never went to BAS or anything like that. Are they still able to try to try to get it? service connected or is that just like unheard of if you don't start when you're in? No, it's just more difficult. So you have okay. to eventually, so even if you get out within that first year, go to, everyone should go to the VA and at very least just register, just yeah. get your name in there, get a VA card because then you have the option to go there uh, when needed. You may never need to go there, but at least that option is there. You're giving yourself more options. Okay. So you go there and just say, Hey, I separated. I never checked them at the VA or, you know, I separated a couple months ago, go to all the doctors. They have take a day, get all the doctors to check, say every little thing. I got a hangnail. Who cares? Put it down. You don't know what you're going to end up getting. We talked before about Navy blue water. So we all know about agent orange in Vietnam and the boots on the ground yep. in Vietnam. Yeah. Only yep. in last year, did those within the territorial waters of Vietnam who were on ship able to get Asian orange connections? How many decades has that been? Yeah. Jesus. You know, 
you have what's called Camp Lejeune uh, water. So yeah. the water in Camp Lejeune was jacked up for decades and there's connections to serious illnesses and injuries. You can get disability for that. Today, what's the big thing with today's wars? Burn pits and burn pit exposure. We have the burn pit registry, which everybody should register for. All you need is DD-214 to say you were in at a certain time and in a certain country yep. and you're on the registry. Right now, there's proposed legislation for 13 injuries and illnesses, chronic bronchitis, any type of cancer. Uh, there's a few of them. It's not in law yet, but it could right. be. Right. I don't think this bill, my, my professional opinion, I don't think this bill is going to make it through fully because I think they're going to try to break it down more just to say any type of cancer. I don't see that working, but we're getting closer. We don't want right. this to be Agent Orange where it takes decades. Hey, I, I don't care what the VA and DOD say. There's serious injuries and illnesses from being around burn pits. Oh, absolutely. I have bronchitis every year. Uh, I never had that. And I was around burn pits. Yeah, I think it was burn pit exposure. Yeah. I know my buddy was working at a burn pit and he had a brain tumor. Yeah, that's burn pit exposure. Yeah. So it's just getting the VA to finally get off their ass and go, yes, there is illnesses and injuries. And these are the ones that are automatic connections. Okay. An automatic connection is just your DD-214 that says you were at a certain place at a certain time and a diagnosis of that injury or illness and you're connected. Okay. Uh, what the percentage is is a different story, but you're at least yeah. you're connected. And that goes for asbestos, Camp Lejeune water, Agent Orange, and hopefully soon burn pits. Yep. Okay. So you may nev have never gone to BAS, but you end up... Oh, River Flukes is another one, which is a wild thing. I don't know. Have you ever heard of River Flukes? No. <laughs> <laughs> there are these little flukes that like live inside the intestines of those in Vietnam. The VA a few years ago was like, no one's going to have it. Seven out of 10 guys had river, uh, liver flukes and these things will kill you. And wow. I've never even heard it before. I'm still trying to understand it, but who knows what's out there that yeah. we could have in 40 years for those that were in Iraq and Afghanistan. So yeah, you got a hangnail, go tell the VA about it. When you go in, go tell BAS now about it because yep. you may lose that finger as crazy as it is in 40 years. And you find out you're exposed to burn pits and it makes you lose your fingers and they, at least you get a connection. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as far as, um, you know, going away from just, you know, the disability connections and stuff like that. And the, do you deal with a lot of other things like, uh, let's say like reserve is losing. Cause I hear all the time, like reserve, I lost my job because I went on a six month deployment and then I come back and my job said, Nope, we filled your spot. So like, do you see those at all? And is there anything out there that you can tell the, the people or the veterans that might be going through something like that? Yeah. So there's something called USERA and that's uh, connections by federal law for uh, active duty and reservists for their jobs. So if you go into active duty and you don't quit your jobs, let's say your job says, okay, you can uh, leave in two weeks before you go to boot camp. So you leave on their terms, yep. you do four years, that job should be back there for you. And that's law. So okay. you have up to five years to come back to that same job and be considered for employment for promotion and salary increases just like everyone else. Okay. So one job I had was with the prosecutor's office. I was an assistant district attorney for a while. If I got, and I went in with a few of the people, so there was a class of us. And let's say I went out on deployment for a year and a half. Well, I'm still entitled to promotion like everyone else in my class. And I can't be looked upon negatively because I was deployed. I'm still entitled to the same pay raises that they get. 
everything that everyone in my class got, I should be the same as. Right. As a reservist, we had somebody who got fired from their job because they're supposed to go away for a weekend. And there's USERA caseworkers. So the caseworker went and talked to this individual's job and was like, hey, you do realize that you can't do that. It's against federal law. Yep. And you could be subject to a civil claim where you will absolutely lose. Yeah. Maybe not in those words, but that's the way it is. So yeah. that individual got his job back. My first job as an attorney was criminal defense and I got fired and it had nothing to do with me being away from my reserve weekends or my drill duty, as okay. I was told. Right. So it had everything to do with being a reservist. <laughs> uh, it's difficult to prove because a lot of employers are knowledgeable on this. So they could say you were late twice. Yeah. I was late by a minute. You're still late. You're fired. Yeah. If they come out and flat out say like you're fired because of this. And I had other ADAs ask me, are you, aren't you concerned about losing your job? I was like, no, it'd be great. If they said you're fired because you're a reservist because I'm going to be doing great then. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So, so it is a thing and it does happen to unfortunate to veterans and stuff like that. And uh, as far as I'm concerned too, is, you know, is you should absolutely get all the pay rates and pay raises. If yes. not, I mean, you should, in my eyes, like I said, I've never actually served in Iraq or Afghan or anything like that. I'm a garrison Marine. You know, in my eyes, if a reservist goes on a six month deployment, and he comes back, he should have a pay raise and a little bit more. You know what I mean? Cause at the end of the day, he, that reservist just went and fought for the owner's capability to own his own company in the U S you know? Yeah. It's, they're entitled to everything they were supposed to get as if they were still there, just like okay. anyone else that had the same position as they did. It can't be like you need to make up all oh, you. It's not that you have to make up all the work. You really should be sitting here. It's not us just sitting on our ass and doing nothing. Right. We need to do some work too. Right. We need to work on our end to make sure we set up everyone for success. We can't take our hands off and go, ah, screw it. I'm a reservist. You can't do anything to me. No. Be that team player as if you would yeah. when you're on duty. So all the work you have to do, start working with other coworkers that you have to make sure they're set up for success to take over your cases or yeah. take over your work or whatever it is to make sure everything you're responsible for, someone else is taking over it while you're gone. And then when you come back, contact them and go, Hey, I want to get together with you and get caught back up on all my work. Yeah. Just, you're, you're doing the right thing. You're mitigating any issues. And right. this is what you should just do in general. You know, don't, right. don't kick back and say, screw it. You know, I'm in the service. I'm a hero. Thank me for my service. You have the raw mentality at that point. Right. And you're going to set yourself up for failure. So take care of what you got to take care of, take care of yourself, do your homework and you've done everything correctly and there should be no issues. Right. Cause like you're, like you're saying, you know, you come back and whatnot, the company may get rid of you and not put down because you were deployed for a year and a half. They may, you may come back and then say, Hey, we're getting rid of him because the productivity is still not, it's not there anymore. Um, yeah. you know, he's just, you know, he's unreliable. He's just, they can say a whole bunch of things and you can try to fight that. And at the end of the day, you're going to lose. And by you losing your case does not help the guy that's actually going through a shitty company that's really harping on him and he's trying to build a case. But the fact that you are say like in Massachusetts and you're that shit bag that came back and it's like, Hey, I'm not going to do my work. Fuck you guys. You owe this to me in a sense, yeah. you know, you're not helping the guy that's out in Texas fighting his case. Cause like you said, a lot of the, you know, attorneys for veterans and the VA will look at cases from all over the world and from all many years. So, you know, keep that in mind. Like you may still have your job, but like you said, you know, do your good diligence, get back, you know, be a team play, player at work and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's what actually pisses me off about these people that go out there with these dogs that are therapeutic and 
fake ass service dogs. It's like you are all ruining it for right. people who actually need service dogs, not just right. veterans, but anyone who needs a service dog, an emotional support animal. You have no American Disabilities Act protections, right? Therapeutic dog. And, oh, I just put my dog in a freaking stroller here. No, you're the problem. Yeah. Service dogs take thousands and thousands of dollars to train, months to train. Yeah. Uh, not all service dogs make it through the training. And then you have to make sure the individual with the dog is a good connection. That doesn't always happen. Right. You know, the VA doesn't pay for service dogs. You have to go through other organizations. And there's a ton of organizations out there. Yeah. Um, Paws of War, Leashes of Valor, America's Vet Dogs. There's tons of those out there who will help you get a dog and not have to pay for it. Right. But not everyone does it. It, it. It's so complex to make a service dog because you have to have dogs that, and the dogs that do this are absolutely amazing. Look it up on YouTube, some of the videos. There's one of a, a veteran doing an interview and he's about to have like a uh, an emotional moment yeah. and the dog just jumps on him just before he gets there. Wow. The dog can sense his anxiety getting up, his heart rate, yep. the blood pressure, whatever it is, and just jumps on them and relaxes them. If you're having nightmares, the dogs will jump on you, lick you to wake you up. If you have issues with dizziness and standing up, dogs have to be big enough to ensure you don't fall over. So your right. little chihuahua is not a service dog. That's a therapy dog. Or you go to Petco and for a couple hours and get a little certificate, which yeah. is bullshit too. So. Yep. There's American Disability Acts that protect service dogs. And you can never be asked, what's your disability? Right. You can never be asked to leave. The only time you can be asked to leave is if the dog is getting unruly. And right. you as a handler should realize that to begin with. Right. And if your dog is a service dog, then it's not going to be unruly around other, everybody else. Exactly. And they wear yeah. those vests. It's amazing to watch. The, when they wear the vest, they know they're on duty. It says yeah. service dog. It says do not pet. And, you know, let's make sure we're not petting service dogs. Yep. But the minute you take that vest off, it's a dog again. And you can yep. just see it just change. It's <laughs> it's absolutely amazing what these dogs can do. Absolutely. And like in a previous episode I had here, um, one of the veterans actually got awarded his own service dog and actually took his dog that he already had, you know, yeah. for many years and made it a service dog. And tremendously is helping this guy out. And he's like, you know, I, I would never have thought my dog would help me in this way. So. You know, by any means, if you need a service dog, go out and get it, but don't get totally. it just so you can go to Walmart with your fucking dog. Cause you're yeah. actually making it harder for that veteran. I just had a, uh, a show with, you're making it harder for him to prove that he needs the dog and why he needs it. So and you can bring these dogs on planes. You can bring yeah. them on trains. You can bring them any place. Even if it says no animals, too bad. Service dogs can go in. Absolutely. Again, go call the cops. It's federal law. You can't stop somebody. And these people, <laughs> these parrots and all sorts of weird stuff. Like, yeah. you know what? These corporations need to take some damn responsibility and say, no, that's not a service animal. Yeah. You're just some jackass with a bird. It's going to disturb everybody. Right. Or you're some jackass as a dog. If your dog is growling at people, guess what? It ain't a service dog. No, absolutely it's not. A, it's a pain <laughs> in the ass. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's like kind of like um, it brings you back with that whole you know, when I, when I was getting out, you know, somebody told me, told me like, oh, you, you know, you're a Marine, you know, why don't you go see the VA? You can get 40% right off the rip. I'm like, well, how am I going to get 40%? I've done a couple of years in Okinawa and stuff like that. I've never been to Iraq. I've never been to Afghan. I've never done any of the cool shit that I was hoping to always do. And they're like, oh, I'll just go get it, go get it. I'm like, well, at the end of the day, by me trying to get all this stupid shit that I don't deserve is going to make it harder and harder and harder for people like yourself, you know, that has the migraine and stuff like that. But I went to the VA and said, hey, I have headaches. They're going to, they're going to look at your case, like just another case that's just trying to rip money from people. 
So please out there listeners, you know, if you like, yeah, you can probably get it. You can probably manipulate the paperwork. You can, you can play the game, but if you don't have those symptoms, don't say you do. And don't say you need a, a pet when you don't need a pet. And don't say, you know, don't say anything if you have nothing, because you're making it really harder for the guy, the veteran that actually needs this shit to, you know, keep it wake, you know, open his eyes in the morning and stuff like that. Keep him insane. Keep him, you know, moving forward. So getting emotional, but yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, just- and, and like you said, dude, sometimes like, all right. So I, when I was in the prosecutor's office, there's something called veterans treatment courts. Okay. And there's, as of 2016, there's 415 plus in the nation. And what these are, these are criminal courts. So a veteran comes in with a case and they may have an underlying issue of PTSD, TBI, MST, something. And their issues adjusting or whatever they went through in the service, whether deployed or not, can cause them to come off the straight and narrows and and commit different crimes. And what the Veterans Treatment Court is, it can be, every court's different, can be, for where I am in Suffolk County, it was 12 months or 18 months. And you take a plea at the front end, you complete this program at the end, your case can be reduced or just dismissed in general. Uh, what we have is there's mentors and that's someone who's separate from the court, who's just there to help you. You need someone to talk to, you need to find a job there. There is a resource and it's the court is there. Once you're signed the contract and you're in the court, myself as the prosecutor, I just wanted to help you. I wasn't a prosecutor anymore. I was just saying, you know, I would tell the mentors, Hey, I'm getting calls about this guy from someone just letting you know, before it becomes an issue, yep. it could be bullshit because I've had a lot of cases where the, the victim was an asshole and the person being, person being uh, prosecuted was really the victim. These veteran treatment courts are there to help you. And in that court, one time we had somebody who was never deployed yep. and had PTSD and someone goes, how do they have PTSD or never deployed? What do you think happens to the bodies of those that are killed in action? Right. He was one of those guys who was transporting the dead bodies in Germany. You have Marines who are mortuary affairs who prepare dead bodies. Yeah. So you have that. And I used to, and a lot of folks in the DA's office where I was, most of them had no service. So the person who was getting cases in the veterans treatment court had some thought that you had to be in combat and had to have an honorable discharge. It's like, dude, you're missing like an entire population that probably mm-hmm. needs it more than anyone else. Yeah. Uh, I said just a transition from going in the military to civilian life is very difficult. Yeah. In the military, this is your lane, you stay in your lane, and you make sure everyone else stays in their lane. Everything's very structured. You know where you're supposed to go. You know what you're supposed to do. You know what everyone else is supposed to do. In civilian life, everyone's in each other's lanes and you're losing your mind because you're like, would you people stop doing that? Like, <laughs> you're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to do that. The transition is difficult. Shit, man. I sat down from my haircut. I had no idea what to do the first time I got out. <laughs> well, because what do you want? Jeez, oh, I don't know. Surprise me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's like my wife too. She, you know, she tells me all the time. She's like, you know, you got some anger issues when you're driving. I'm like, I'm sorry. Like people are fucking stupid when they drive. And that's yeah. why I live in like Western Mass area. So it's not very populated, but like I never go to Boston unless I'm going to a Bruins game. You know what I mean? So it's like, I can't, but you know, thank you. Um, now you're mission 22 ambassador as well out there in New York too. So, you know, I'm definitely going to get your email and I'm going to put it in the show notes for anybody out there. That's, you know, maybe want to go in depth more with you, Chad, or, or just saying, Hey, you know, I really like that episode and this is what's going on. Do you think I have a case? And you know, you can just communicate back and forth with that person. I think it would be a good, cause like I said before, I'm super excited that you came on here. Cause 
you know, you can obviously, you know, what you said and can help out a lot of people out there. Like, you know, I didn't know about the Volk program. You know, I didn't know a lot of stuff that you're, you're saying now. And unfortunately for me, I've been out since 09. So I'm not going to school again now. I'm, you know, I don't <laughs> want to be that old, old guy in class, you know, <laughs> be surprised how many there are out there. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, so yeah, mission 22, if, you know, if you're a veteran out there too, as well, you're going through some issues or anything like that, or, you know, you just need somebody to talk to, or, you know, you want to, you want to find if there's anything to help you out there, like, you know, veteran first organization. And I mean, you've said a couple organizations through the, through the episode too, as well. You can always call mission 22 at 1-800-273-8255 and just hit option one and, you know, help you through whatever you're going through at that moment and time. It doesn't make you any weaker as a person that, that stigma out there is that there's something wrong with you. You're a puss or whatever. Get rid of that because I'll tell you the strongest people make it through that. So even if somebody says you're a pussy, once you get to the other side and you find out that your life is probably going to be better than you've ever imagined prior to the hard time in your life, you're going to find out that you're actually not a pussy. You're a man. You owned up what was going on and you went and sought some help. And if you don't want to be on the phone with anybody and you just, or you want to start texting someone. So you're in secret or your wife's next to you or you're at a party and you know, something's hitting you and you're like missing the camaraderie or, or something like that. You know, always, you can always text mission 22 at eight, three, eight, two, five, five. And somebody will respond with you. And you can always get a hold of me at American vet podcast at yahoo.com. And we'll talk, you know, um, you know, and I'm sure that you see it a lot, Chad, with people coming in and, you know, somebody's losing their brother and sister or something like that, or something's going on. And, and I'm sure that, you know, when some people have an issue like PTSD and they don't go out and they see help and it sits, you know, I've seen it time and time. I've done a lot of, uh, emergency jobs here for the municipality that I live in. And, you know, I've seen it case by case, you know, veterans are getting really drunk and crashing their cars and stuff like that because they're yeah. living with something. There is absolutely help out there. And a veteran for, or an attorney for veteran laws like yourself can actually help you if you're actually having an issue with PTSD or TBI or missing the camaraderie or, you know, you get out of the Marine Corps, you get out of any branch and you've been kicking ass for the past few years. And now all of a sudden you're, you know, you're on food stamps or, you know, you're working at McDonald's, you know, that's a hell of a mindset to go through or, you know, your significant other leaves you because she was a military spouse and now you're not in the military. She's like, I don't want nothing to do with you. I want that guaranteed paycheck and that TRICARE. Um, go see people like Chad. And I'm sure you've dealt with some cases like that where, you know, you can prove like, listen, this is going on with him and kind of help them out pretty much to stay out of jail. <laughs> yeah. Go, go out there, go talk to a therapist, go find a support group, go to a support group and just sit back and watch, realize that the, the issues you're going through is not alone. Go talk to a therapist and just say, Hey, here's what I'm going through. What do you think? Going both ways is great to talk to someone one-on-one -on -one will help you with your issues with whatever you may be going through. Going to a support group is great to see that you're not the only one going through things. It doesn't matter what generation you are. It doesn't matter what your experience was. Uh, we're all in this together. No one yep. knows a veteran better than another veteran. And we're all here for each other. If someone's sitting there calling you a pussy because you, you, you go on a PAS, yeah. they're an absolute idiot. Yep. Um, they're just think they're just have that caveman mentality of everything is fine. I'm going to be great. They're the ones that's going to have the most issues when they get out. Uh, as a reservist now, I can pick out a lot of active duty guys who are going to have real trouble when they get out because I've seen both sides. I've been in active duty. I'm out of active duty. 
I see how the civilian world works. You can't sit there and knife out everyone and say, go do, go do your doggone job, you piece of shit. And you're yeah. getting fired for doing that. <laughs> reach out to somebody. It is a sign of strength. I had to reach out to somebody. There's plenty of people out there who are some of the toughest dudes I know that had to reach out to someone. There's someone I know is one I have tremendous amount of respect for. And he's talked about writing a suicide note. Yeah. You know, it's there's an Air Force general killed himself a few years ago. When I was re- with recon right before I got there, their battalion commander killed himself. There was a sergeant major I know that killed himself. There was a private, there was a corporal. I don't yeah. care what your rank are, I don't care what branch you're in. It's everywhere. Yeah. It's everywhere. You're not alone. Yep. Absolutely. Thank you, Chad. And like I said, listeners, I'm gonna leave his email down there in the description if you want to get a one-on-one with him. Um, and my email, like I said, is American Vet Podcast at Yahoo.com. Mission 22, once again, is one 800 273 8255 Option one, or you can text them at 838-255. Um, Chad, thank you for all your service and uh keep rolling. And you know, thank you for you know, recognizing that, Hey, listen, you know, cause I know you said that, you know, you're getting out you're like, Oh, I'm going to go into the police department or I'm going to do this. And now you found yourself, you know, you're an attorney for veterans. And I think, and you're in a mission 22. So, you know, your, your story is kind of, it's an amazing cause you're, you found this need for help to help other people. And you, whether you just wanted to use your post nine 11 or not, I think what you're doing right now is definitely continuing to fight, you know, with between mission 22 and fighting for the the veterans that deserve something and you're helping them. And when the VA says, no, you're a shit bag, you don't get nothing. You're that guy that's standing up saying, listen here, asshole. This guy's been through all kinds of shit. Um, so thank you again for being on the show and, and giving the listeners uh, some insight on some things. And yeah, thank you for your service. Thank you. Thank you for having me on and uh, anything I could do to help out. I'm here to help out and we're all in this together. Absolutely. Listeners. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the outro. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land, we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom.